0: welcome to the smart tech check podcast hosted by mark Vina. your home for candid insightful and provocative conversations about the smart
1: home home automation security smartphones pc and console gaming and much more
2: hello everyone my name is mark Vina, host of the smart check smart tech check podcast uh, Today is thursday march 10th 2022 Today's podcast is all about the big peak performance Apple event that was conducted a few days ago. Got my illustrious crew of um, journalists with me to go through that. Uh, joining me for today's podcast uh, is Stuart Walpin, who scribes for Popular Mechanics, U.S. News, Techlicious, Investopedia, and other well-known publications. Rob Peguero, who writes frequently on tech policy for Wirecutter, PC Magazine, and U.S. Today. I, I read your USA Today spot, the uh, article the other day, uh, Rob. And John Quinn, who writes for the New York Times, Smart Cities, and Tom's Guide. And we're just happy that they're all here. And good afternoon to, both, uh, to all three of you. And we're so excited that baseball's coming back. Right, guys? I know, John, you're not that excited, but I know that Rob and <laughs> yeah. Stuart are.
3: I'm waiting for Formula One. Formula One is in testing, so we're close, we're
1: close. Mm.
2: Well, well, I assume that you watched the event. Did you watch it? And its an, i that's a canned question, but it's, you know, I want to make sure that <laughs> you're properly prepared. You did. That's a test because I would just take you out out of the. I would put you back in the chat room if you didn't. But um, it was kind of an interesting um, uh, event in that, you know. Um, again, I like to use on the on the Apple technology Richter scale. You know, it was probably you know whereas ten is a big big deal and one is a not such a big deal. It's probably a. Three or four, not because of the iPhones or, or the iPads, but because of some of the other th- stuff that we'll talk about. But you know, g- give me a grade, uh, Stuart. Uh, b- before we go into the topics, you know, um, what, what did you? Th- what was your top level thought? Did, was it riveting? Did it change your life? Well, one, it was blessedly short. Yeah, so it was very it usually yes.
0: go on for two to three hours. This one was a little less than an hour. Um, it really, as far as I was concerned, lacked the dynamism that that these things usually have, I mean, without the audience in it, without it being live, it just lacks any kind of immediacy. And I was, on, on a on a side note, I was extraordinarily disappointed that Tim Cook didn't mention anything about I, I know going on in Europe. I was maybe he. I was, stu- was stunned. I was invasion. stunned. At that. On the web, on the Apple website now, there's a UNICEF contribution link. The fact that he said nothing, I thought, was so jarring in its absence that I almost just blanked out on the rest of the event. Right. No, I was
2: stunned by that too. And that, yeah. yes, the event was pre recorded, but you would think they would have recorded a piece in front of that. Something. Yeah. Something like that. that. Was, but there was not one reference during the entire 58 right. minute deal. No.
3: It wasn't that pre recorded yeah. either. Remember, this has been going on for, you know, for week two oh, or whatever. Yeah. Weeks. So, right. It, you know, there was really no excuse for that. That was pretty bad. Yeah. yeah.
1: Tim Cook Rob. could have at least worn like blue and yellow or something. I'm just saying.
3: Which I'm trying to do.
1: Right. Good job. Right. I have blue.
0: Somebody's
2: wearing red.
1: This is actually more like orange. Thank you. I'm like brick red, I guess. Oh, are so you wearing men's? Netherlands.
2: Uh, I thought it was watching. That's not. That's not the national's color. So,
1: no, it is that's, not. Uh, you my count.
2: Anyway, so, yeah. Get it, get it. Go ahead. Go ahead, John.
3: Oh, I was gonna say. Yeah, I thought it was about a three. I mean, it wasn't. uh, You know, a he didn't make it relevant by by not mentioning anything about the Ukraine. You know, Apple has such a huge presence, blah, blah, blah. That was stupid. That was, that was, that wasn't tone deaf. That was just dumb. Yeah. Um And, you know, so it made, as Stuart said, it made this event seem kind of less relevant. Um, but a three, you know, and we're going to talk about the products, why it's even a three. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't, uh, I, I didn't watch it live, pre-recorded live. I watched it pre-recorded later.
1: So I didn't did you watch it at it. 1.5 speed or two speed though? <laughs>
3: I, you know, I've caught a lot of people watching things at like six speed lectures and all sorts of things. I, I yeah, I didn't realize that was a thing. No, I'm a regular speed guy.
2: There, there, there's a great website called I think it's Nine to Five Mac, and they take mm-hmm. every they do this every day. It takes a couple of days for them to, to to push it, but it's essentially they take regardless of how long it is, they cut it down to seven or eight minutes, so you can watch the whole, all the highlights in eight minutes. So. <laughs> Which I recommend for you, John, next time, so you can save some value. Just, I just so long as
3: they don't cut me out of anything, that's fine.
2: But you know, what was interesting. Then I, I want to hit the the, the the what I think is the the three big topics is that um, the uh, the event itself. I mean, what goes on on the to You know, a couple of days before that is is intriguing to me. I mean, there were com- there were um, outlets out there trying to kind of back into. Well, what does Apple mean by peak performance in different languages on different websites by looking at, because apparently the translation obviously is, is a little bit different. And, you know, our, I mean, people are so obsessed with, what you know, whatever secret messaging that Apple may have embedded, you know, in these announcements. It's almost like a cottage industry, you know, in terms of what they're going to yeah. pull the trigger I'm on. Sorry.
3: Yeah. Just all these double entendres flashed through my brain when you said that. So it's like <laughs> different things in different boy. <laughs> so yeah, well, I think Apple has a problem with that iPads, et etc., which you talked about. But actually, I thought antifreeze is what I thought, but that's just me, you know.
2: <laughs> well, w- w- with the, let's let's hit the next let's hit the first topic here: new iPhone, a new iPhone SE, a new iPad Air with five G, five G. I should say, are available in both models with caveats, by the way. Um, interestingly enough, the iPhone SE. They bumped the price up from 399 to 429 called now the 5G tax that you'll pay. And um, uh, Rob, let me th- toss this over to you. If I'm not mistaken, the, the, the iteration of 5G they have in the iPhone SE is not even millimeter wave. It's not even the high performance millimeter, uh, not the high mm-hmm. performance
1: version of- That's, that's the 5G. right call by Apple. Um, yeah, so the real 5G tax is when you do add millimeter wave. Because if you don't, if you just stick to the sub six uh, gigahertz bands, Yep. You don't need to have a whole separate antenna module inside the phone. So the actual you know, hardware components don't change that much. And so that's what you see in most affordable phones. I've been trying out a bunch of under 500 phones. They're littering my desk right over here and none of them support millimeter wave. My own Pixel 5a phone, no millimeter wave. Uh, pretty much all the affordable phones I saw at MWC in Barcelona last week, no millimeter wave. It's interesting here though, that this is a phone that Verizon is selling. So far Verizon has insisted that if it's gonna be a 5G phone that they sell, somebody's gotta pay the millimeter wave tax. And in this case, they're relented, I think because the, the new iPhone SE does support C-band 5G, which is the useful 5G you get at Verizon, which isn't just confined to particular street corners in like DC, New York, and Chicago, but works in big chunks of cities and is still really fast. I think Apple made the right call. Uh, It's completely sensible. It is a contrast. Remember two years ago, the new iPhone event, where it was all millimeter wave 5G is so awesome. And and Apple went in on that, which they should have known better than to do that.
2: Yes. In fact, Joanna Stern from the Journal um, wrote a nice piece a couple of days ago uh, talking about the SC and talking about the fact that you know it was more of a macro comment that you know 5g really hasn't taken her life over you know it really hasn't um right. let the world on fire that we you know we've you think by now most people who have millimeter wave 5g variants in their phones the, the higher end phones you think they would be um, a bit more emboliant about the uh, their um, enthusiasm but she certainly has them and of course it depends on where you live and it depends on um, a variety of um, um, fa- other factors but you know for her 5g has not turned her on uh, from a, 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 a um, from an appeal standpoint what about you John what, what are, what's your thoughts? Oh that's definitely it I get to say I told you so <laughs> <laughs> you know
3: 5g has been like thrown at us for years and I like looked at the technology and go he's got so many major problems with it. It's never going to deliver on, you know, the promise that they have. The millimeter wave stuff is is too short. You know, the reason it only gets to the corner is because you have to double, triple the number of antennas to get it. Any kind of. It's also weird, like, well, the low megahertz one from the old, uh, you know, what do we call it? White band, the TV station stuff. That's T-Mobile. So it's weird
1: that Verizon is they selling a phone not that doing is open. white space. Microsoft is doing white spaces. T-Mobile is doing 2.5 gigahertz, also mid-band. Which well, that was really why they bought Sprint to get that frequency, and then right. But they up.
3: have a lot of the 700 megahertz bandwidth. That's yeah. all in there. That's your coverage. That's your 5G coverage nationwide. That, 5G. Right. That's your nationwide 5G. Well, that's T-Mobile. You know, that's what they have. All that stuff. So. I wish I had it in Vermont. We're never going to see 5g in Vermont. I mean, it's just anyway, so I'm not surprised. Um, but I, I, you know, the price jump isn't bad because people keep seeing like thousand dollar phones. So you see this pretty good quality phone you're like, it's under $500 as long as it's under $500. Mm -hmm. It, it, you know, I think that it's the cost of everything right now is going up. Um, highest inflation rate in 40 years. So it's going to affect yeah. products we well, cover. We
2: well, yeah, you know, I, I, I want to talk about the exact point that John brought up because I, I, I got interviewed the other day by ABC TV and uh, I brought that very topic up is that with gasoline now out in friendly California, now at six twenty a gallon, you know, that's what I paid the other night, which was a, a wonderful experience. Um, <laughs> the, the, you know, at a certain point, you know, when gasoline gets to levels that it's never been you – know, we're now at a historical levels for for gas um, price per gallon um, in the United States, and it's, of course, more acute in the United States, in California. Right. Does this become a problem for Apple come September when they announce their flagship iPhone 14, which is not going to be a budget phone. That will be in that wonderful 12 13 $14 range. And I just don't – I don't believe Apple is going to be impervious to um, – Uh, to uh, the effects of inflation with people. And you can't eat an iPhone, right? You can't put ketchup and mustard on it and eat it. It's a very expensive meal. But (laughs) uh, but, uh, Stuart, you're nodding your head. Uh, Do you agree that... uh, I know uh, you don't want to eat an iphone people, people continually complain
0: that apple products are too expensive or more expensive but they've been this is their this is their niche though the, but the one achilles heel and i'm going to talk a little more globally is that they've been trying to get make headway into both the chinese and indian marketplaces which was, are the two yes. biggest smartphone markets right now, mm-hmm. and those two markets are much bigger on the sub-$300 5G phones, yeah. which Apple is, that, I don't that, think, that is is ever. ever going to make. That's not their playground, so... I think the SE will continue to lag behind their numbered phones. And I think this will accommodate people who want an Apple, but don't want to pay twice as much for it. But well, my biggest protest about this phone isn't the phone or the hardware, other than the fact that it's got a touch ID and the numbered phones don't, which makes them, wear, what makes them using them while wearing a mask far more convenient. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, is, is, my protest is the nomenclature. They can't keep calling these new iPhone SEs, iPhone SE, because there's simply going to be an increased amount of confusion on the market. And I guarantee you that somebody's going to go into an Apple store, ask for an Apple iPhone SE and get the old version, because there's no way to differentiate one from the other other than the 5G. And I doubt very much that 5G is going to be written on the box. So I, I wish Apple would number the SE so everybody would know what they were getting.
2: Mm-hmm. Rob, could you make sure you send a note to Tim Cook about IBM, about <laughs> Apple? About He's great. With
1: all my suggestions.
2: I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. But, you know, the, the, there's another piece of um, one of the challenges of putting 5G in phones. 5G is not a particularly battery-friendly technology. You know, I mean, with more antennas, especially if you're using the the, uh, the millimeter wave, I mean, battery life can be significantly impacted. And, in fact, Apple has a feature in their phones, where you can actually turn off the five G capability to to um, extend battery life. So, uh, Rob, what are your what are your thoughts along those lines in terms of you know, well, you know, the iPhone
1: SE, assuming the new one has the same capacity battery as the old one, which is really small. Yes, uh, you know, I, I can tell you the the old iPhone SE, the twenty twenty model, the iPhone SE XP, if you will, as opposed to the iPhone SE <laughs> Vista, um, has. has Pretty bad battery life compared to anything else you would find sold as a new phone these days. Um, and so I don't think the new one would be any better. I mean, it could be worse because it's got a faster processor, but maybe that also allows it to sort of.
2: It's probably more efficient. The, process more effort or effort or effort
1: effort. the processor yeah. can dial itself back. Uh, Yeah, but on the other hand, if you're buying an iPhone SE, you know, you're probably not an intensive user. If you're going to spend a lot of time on the phone, you don't want something with that small 4.7-inch display where iOS itself, you know, fits badly. They had to move control center instead of swipe up from the bottom, the top right, you swipe up from the bottom. So it's unlike every other iDevice from Apple. So I think it's probably fine in this case. Uh, It's a phone you'll need to recharge every night. But if you have that, you're probably not spending so much time on it anyways so i would guess in practice people will you know put it down on the night then 11 p.m and it won't be that much below the average iphone 13 or iphone 14.
2: now we've been spending all this time talking about the iphone SE. we should give the ipad ipad air changes a little bit of love here um they did they add 5g uh, 5g support uh it's at a again that's their their entry-level friendly price point ipads Um, it does have an m1 processor that's using apple silicon which i think is interesting but um you know john do you even think it matters anymore frankly in terms of well i think a lot of people
3: people wanted this update upgrade um however you want to typify there hasn't been a new ipad air for uh, a number of years it's been a couple of years anyway so people wanted i, I mean i felt like there was some demand out there like the, just you know anecdotally like people ask me about the volvo wagons all the time you know when are we going to get the volvo wagon back it was sort of like oh, is there a new ipad air out um so i think it's this more appetite for it than people generally mm-hmm. think they are you know we kind of overlooked the tablet category a little bit but um so i wasn't blown away by it, but I thought it was a good a good update, actually, uh, to the yep. product.
2: Let us hit the next topic, which is really where the big information is here. Let me uh, get to the next slide here. Apple introduces M1 Ultra. I mean, again, it wasn't a big, big secret. We, they knew there was going to come out with some type of um, faster iteration of uh, the M1 Apple Silicon. Uh, I, I think what's fascinating to me, and I was having this chat with someone from another major processor company i wouldn't say who they are uh, but what's intriguing to me was the the concept uh, apple does such a great job of presenting a technology that's been out there for some time and then uh, implying very strongly that they invented it and this whole notion of taking two m1 uh, pro, uh, pro uh, maxes and literally connecting them together with their uh I, they, came, they had a great marketing phrase was it was called um, Ultra Connect, or they had a, a marketing uh, description for it: Super Duper. <laughs> yeah, the John Quain Interconnect uh, technology. But, but, but other companies have been able to do that for some time now. Those, those, that kind of capability is really at the high end, which is really where the Ultra is positioned. It's really positioned for for um, professional content developers. You know, not you doing twenty second TikTok videos, which I know Stuart's fond of. But it's really looking. It's, it's really you know, it's really uh, intended for people who are really almost creating content for Hollywood studios and things like that, which is not a humongous audience, but it's a very influential audience. So what did you think, uh, Stuart? Uh, did and, and by the way, give me some of your feedback on the way that Apple, in contrast to other companies, articulate and position and message relatively complex topics like a processor. Because I'm always fascinated with that. I think Apple does really a, a terrific job on that because there are not... A t- non-technical people that watch their their keynotes, but you know don't want to deep dive into the technology. But Apple seems to be very mindful in the way, the way they create very compelling messaging around a processor introduction. So any thoughts on that? Well, yeah. I
0: thought it was interesting. It, this may have been also for the Studio Mac, is that almost all the developers that they interviewed, all the developers they interviewed were women, which I thought right. was fascinating. Um, hmm. But in terms of the chip themselves, I also have a nomenclature problem with this. They've got the Pro, the Max, and the Ultra. And if I didn't know, how am I supposed to differentiate between right. those three, which is which and which does what? I think that's uh, um, a Why didn't they just call the damn thing the M2, since they're essentially got two m ones here and just stop it with these confused a pro ultra max it, it well, i mean see, right now, i I've got iPad. a phone that's both a pro and a max you know <laughs> so i thought that that was a in, in terms of the technology, I think the um, the chip itself is obviously going to appeal only to people at the way upper end of the spectrum. So I don't think it really mattered what Apple said. My own my own take is that the most fascinating part is the presentation. Is I think they said 114 billion
2: transistors. transistors.
0: I'm that's a number that even the non-tech is going to have a is going to be impressed by. Whether or not it is, I thought it was impressive. So, but the, the people that they're appealing to with the comparisons, the comparisons are always nonsense because you don't know exactly what they're comparing it to or who's doing the comparing. But the people in the know understand a lot of the, the underlying tech, technical aspects involved. So I my issue was just what, why do we need three chips with essentially the same name? Um, and why aren't you telling me what, Applications each one is good for who the customers are, you know that sort of thing. I mean, I was looking. Well, yeah,
2: you know, I want I want uh, Rob to to kind of respond to that because Rob, what's interesting about and I think Stuart's exactly right when you look at their keynotes, uh, the the M one related keynotes over the last year and a half or so. What's interesting is when they show benchmarks, they're almost like anonymous benchmarks. Now I'm sure I know they can back them up. But when you look, when you watch, and when you were watching AMD or an Intel uh, event, you know, because they've been in the business for so long, they really provide very specific details on what they're what they're showcasing from a benchmarking standpoint. Whether they're using third party benchmarks from Tom's Hardware or, or or whatever, but it's interesting how Apple can get away with showing, and I really mean that phrase deliberately, how the the benchmark stuff they show are very and very simple charts. By you know one arc here. And here's the new M1 Ultra, and it's a bigger arc. You know, that's got to be better if it's a bigger arc. <laughs> so, so what's your response to the way Apple just messages their um, their benchmarking in their events? Yeah, or, they they, made, they have,
1: you know, shied away from emphasizing things like clock speed, even to the extent, I mean, I remember there was this one Macworld Expo New York keynote where they spent like 20 minutes trying to explain how Clock speed was nonsense. Intel processors pay the pipeline tax, the PowerPC chips yeah. don't have to pay. And then of course, right. five years later they switch to Intel chips. A um, punchline. Yeah. <laughs> and that important, you know, you now Intel's out as well. So yeah, I don't know. In, in this case, in the case of this very high-end processor that you you apparently cannot hope to fit in a laptop, it's only in desktops. Right. you know, I don't think it's gonna hold them back with consumers. I I think the point about them having so many different kinds of processors does fit into the fact that their product lineup has gotten cluttered. You know, uh, you have the iPad. The iPad Air is more expensive than the iPad, whereas a MacBook Air is less expensive than a MacBook. Then you have the iPad Pro, which is somehow higher and is close to a laptop, but not really. You have the MacBook Pro, which is finally updated. But then the desktop lineup, you have the Mac Mini, like this one right on my desk. Uh, You have the iMac, where the 27-inch one's been quietly it has continued now you have the mac studio and the mac pro is somewhere else out there and you know they used to be able to update their uh, hardware a little more timely than they do these days
2: and, but and john you know it's interesting I, I read i read i uh, read a piece this morning that the difference in weight between the uh, which we're going to talk about in a second the that new um um mac studio be, the, between the m1 ultra and And the and the M1 Max, so the single processor versus the two flavor version. There's like a two or I could be wrong, but I think there's a two two point five pound differential between the two models, implying that whatever thermals and heat sink and other stuff they have in the higher end model, that's a big. Now of course it's it's a desktop and that's not it's not a big because you're not going to drag that around. But it it just goes to show you that even that 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 uh, piece of Apple technology that's running so quickly. There you know, I'm not sure you would see other processor companies, you know, put a three pound or two and a half pound heat sink solution in, you know, just to make the point where, hey, we can do a faster, faster uh, um, processor. So any, any thoughts on that?
3: Uh, right. Well, it definitely usually is the heat that you're worried about. You know, you can dream, yeah. jam the clock speed as high as you want, but you've got to dissipate the heat. You're going to create a lot of heat. We're also going to use a fair amount of power, um, you know, and, and now... I think people start, are long term, given the geopolitical situation, they're going to come back to, right, we shouldn't be using so much power on OLED screens, which suck a lot of power. If you have mm-hmm. an OLED TV going, wow, your your electric bill is going to go up. And, you know, you put something like that on your desk, your electric bill is going to go up substantially, not only just for the item itself that's going to use the power, which they don't talk about, just, you know, and then there's going to be the air conditioning that's going to go up because you're dissipating all that heat in your office. And so now you're going to have to do more of that. So uh, there are lots of reasons not to go that way. If you really don't need that power, <laughs> I think the, the machine I started looking at was $4,000 when I started playing around with, you know, ooh, it would be nice to have, um, so yeah. I did.
2: The, I did the same thing. And yeah. by the time you add that, that that, that end display, which you can configure, you can right. add different things. Oh. you know you're talking it's easy to get to eight or nine thousand dollars
3: I was just gonna say yeah it's more like eight grand yeah um, no, which,
2: which is by the way that's the gift that Robin's gonna send me for Christmas so I appreciate that <laughs> right I mean Someone look if buying. you're
3: if you're a video editor working on you know uh streaming new mo- movies or you know you've got a series on Netflix or something then yeah that's the machine you need to have something like that but for the rest of us, uh, that probably doesn't make a lot of sense. It's, it's I mean, it's sort of like the having rest the like have an SD card slot, right? I don't, you know, the only people I know that use SD card slots, aside from people like us, are photographers. So, yes. you know, professional photographers who are going to take it out of their DSLR and put it in the machine. So that, that's really who it's for. Um, but you're right about the benchmarking. Stuart knows this used to be the bane of my existence at PC Magazine and PC Labs. I spent a lot of late nights in the stupid lab there going over benchmarks that we developed. And yeah, I mean, how meaningful are they these days? I don't know. For It's all really about video processing. And so yeah. you know, that's the big thing.
2: Let us hit the last topic that I want to chat about. And that is, which I, you know, again, hardware yeah. is hardware. You know, this is a, the Mac Studio is a brand new form factor for Apple, and it's kind of a, it's you know, it's interesting. It's not replacing, com, at least not yet, their Xeon-based, the trash can, I think it's called, <laughs> that Mac Pro, <laughs> no, that's, what, that's what, what it's commonly called. Um, the, that product is almost like a mini tower, and it's got lots of expandability, equally very expensive. But this is kind of an interesting form factor because it, it kind of fits in between the Mac Mini, because it really is just, a, it's a taller Mac Mini essentially, right. you know, when you look at the me- measurements. But so, Stuart, what is your thought on, again, I mean, could you – putting money aside, which is always a hard thing to do.
3: <laughs> could oh, you
2: rec- oh, I oh. mean, could you rec- – because I'm sure you get as many calls and emails and messages from friends who, hey, I want to buy a, a Mac. What should I buy? I'm sure you get that more than, more than occasionally. Right. Could you ever rationalize a Mac Studio for a mainstream user, or do you think it's completely overkill? I am with you on that. I could
0: not recommend it. Some of the reasons for what John said, Um, the fact that, I mean, Apple has made its name by combining everything in one unit. I am right now talking to you on a 27-inch iMac, and I'm really pissed off because I've got a 2015 version, and there's no M1 chip replacement for it. So my only choice, I know that there are a lot of people out there with 27-inch iMacs. I am not the only one. Our only replacement path now is the lower-end Mac Studio and a separate monitor. And I was sort of hoping that maybe I could use my current iMac, 27-inch iMac, as a dumb monitor, and apparently you cannot. So if I'm going to upgrade, I'm going to have to buy the Mac Studio and a... There is no way i'm buying that studio display it's way too much display for my purposes i'll go out and get the lg which is what like 500 or a thousand dollars cheaper it's a 4k versus 5k but for mainstream 27-inch imac users that makes a hell of a lot more sense than spending another 1500 on a screen so i mean that that my, my take is simply from a personal point of view that if I want to step up to an M1 Mac. My only
2: choice is the Mac Studio. And right. I'm a little pissed off at that. Well, I, I think, you know, Rob alluded to that, and that Apple has a tendency, especially during this M1 transition over the last couple of years, which they've been very, very clear. Mm-hmm. It was going to take them about two years of transition. They're doing it in piecemeal fashion. So, you know, guys like you who, you know, and I, and I had an iMac, the 27, I had the 2019 model, you know. I've always been a bit frustrated with the all-in-one form factors because you just, there's very little upgradability. There's no upgradability. I think you get well, to re- replace one. You have to replace
0: yeah. both. Whereas the you, with the Mac Studio, that's fine just to just replace one. I'm sure that's the reason that that Rob has a Mac Mini, but right. To not at least offer me the option number one and and number and and not enabling my current display to be used as a dumb terminal pisses me off even more because I would definitely for the two grand get that entry level Mac Studio. I'd be it's got a lot more juice than I've gotten in in inputs and whatnot. Why can't I use my existing twenty-seven inch Mac as a dumb terminal, John? Are you? No, did, you I, order, I, did you
2: order, did you order a Mac Studio? Come on, tell you can tell the truth. Did you order one as soon as they came out? Come on.
3: No, I. I mean, I'm with uh, Stewart on this. I, I feel the same way. And then some of the obvious things for those of us who are used to plugging and playing things, is is not being able to use that as a monitor. That just seems ridiculous, right? Um, so yeah, I, I I agree. And it's odd. I mean generally i think apple is kind of sensitive to those paths and thinks about where their their users and the, the people that like their products go and sort of can see that that path so i'm a little surprised maybe there's something else coming to sort of uh to fill that hole but um yeah i totally agree with him um rob we're
2: over yeah, two they, come they, on they, here the other do, two guys yeah. do one yet did you did you order one yet come on you can no. tell us
1: so I was watching this thing, my worry, having bought this Mac Mini last September when it had already been in the market for, uh, you know, um, over six uh, months, you know,
2: nine, nine months. Uh, wow. Like,
1: yeah. you know, I'm going to have the Apple experience where you buy something and then two months later, they introduce a better version. So I was, I, to be honest, a little relieved that there was no Mac Mini. And then once they'd gone <laughs> after more than like a minute to talking about the cooling system on the Mac Studio, I'm like, okay, this is not for me. I don't need to worry about this. Uh, I don't, I'm gonna guess the price is gonna be around two grand and, and yes, starting at that. Um, yeah, it's an interesting product. People who, who need it, if you work on video, yeah, that's the computer for you. I get it. It's not something I will ever be buying. I don't need it. I shove stick words together. That's pretty you know, <laughs> low impact processing wise and, and the studio display as well. But but then again, I see these people wringing their hands like we, we don't have, Apple doesn't sell a monitor. You can buy one from someone else and plug it in. These things really do work, I swear. The first right. monitor I have yeah,
2: here. That, that's I always see. intrigued me that even the professional right. video content professionals. I understand the whole you want to have a very fast system because you want to encode and decode video very quickly. And and time is money, right? If you want to take a, yeah. a, a 7K or yeah, 8K million million video, you know, instead of nine hours to render a 60-minute video. It only takes twenty minutes or five minutes or whatever the uh, whatever uh, application you're using. So I get that, but the studio display thing, you know, I, I, they would argue that you know color accuracy is a big deal. You know, when you're producing content, you know, understanding uh, the, the the granularity of colors in a professional environment where you might be producing content yeah. showing up on a fifty foot screen in a movie theater, you can only do that if you have a color a display that's uh, uh, that's capable of, of, of really displaying incredibly accurate and precise colors so that's what their argument would be correct Robert? right
3: right right right
2: right uh any closing thoughts guys on this on the mac studio I and mean, this is you know kind of now. actually we're, we're going 32 minutes so this is our typical length for a podcast but It's a good, did
1: good reason else you up? kept this thing the, that the presentation uh was as short as it was because they didn't have a whole lot to sell i think okay the the most consumer relevant parts of the whole thing we talked about uh you know the new iphone se baseball games on apple tv plus on fridays oh, yeah. yeah, of- i
0: thought kurt that was interesting in also is
2: kurt gowdy coming back
1: good <laughs> <laughs> question i don't know
2: you know what though and I, 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 I let's we can close on that one topic is that you know yes it, it, i guess it makes your apple tv plus subscription that much more valuable you know that's not a cost data, right? That's in, included in the base uh,
1: Apple TV Plus yeah. package. Yeah, it's not an add-on thing.
2: Right? Yeah, I know. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, you know, subscribing to professional sports on, on with these uh, online subscriptions, it's a very much like a labyrinth type of thing. Some, you know, some some of the you know, like MLB that has blackout restri- and you guys know this it has blackout yeah. restrictions. And if you're and God, you know, if you're living in the if you're a Yankee fan and you live in um, uh, you live in the, Bronx, in the Bronx, for example, or New Jersey, where the YES Network operates. You can't. Most local games are not broadcast locally anymore. I mean, they, they've dialled that back down dramatically. You know, you have to watch them online, and you may not be able to watch them if you're in market.
0: That's what I was about. curious about: whether or not, if the, especially in New York, where you know the Mets and the Yankees are going to be. I wouldn't say dominating, but there'll be a lot of games with the Mets and the Yankees on the Apple TV since it's the biggest market. And they're both gonna, whether or not if it's on Apple TV. Well, that means I won't be able to watch it any other way, I don't. which I will be very disappointed. I mean, I have Apple TV and that's fine. But a lot of people I saw, thought I saw the mm. other day that amongst all the major streamers, Apple TV Plus had the largest churn rate. And yeah and people are buying it to watch one or two things and then turning it off. And I think this might impact a lot of people who watch the Mets and the Yankees or the Dodgers out in LA, um, whether or not that will mean the local blackout will happen if it's, and if you don't have an Apple TV plus subscription, you are SOL, which I think a lot- The bigger problem there
1: there, though, it's outside of Friday night games. It's that regional sports networks, which carry all the, the local games, for a while, they were they were getting increasing carriage on streaming services. And then a couple of years ago, the streaming services were like, no, you people charge too much. So like, yes, got dropped by a bunch of places. SNY, the, the Red Sox's Nessun is gone. Uh, so I think right now, if you pay for AT&T TV, which is now Directv Stream, what is it now under the, they're on name number six. Uh, they have pretty much every RSN, but in general, yeah, and this is a problem that, the teams need to need to solve, because they're paying with salaries based on huge contracts where RSN's paid, assuming that the pay TV model, as it existed five years ago, would stick around forever, which was a stupid thing to predict. Now they're stuck with it. I mean, like the Dodgers, their regional sports network was some crazy big deal, and it was so expensive that no one carried it for years. And the the sports nets are gonna have to go direct to consumer at some point, but RSN DTC, as they say, uh the, there's so many vested economic interests no one knows how it's going to do it and I know that the the Washington Nationals Mid-Atlantic Sports Network is so poorly run it will be the last to figure out some direct customer <laughs> option I'm sure that two years from now I will still be seeing more games in person at Nats Park than on any screen in my house probably true
2: yeah well guys let, let's uh, wrap this up um appreciate your time uh thanks for taking the time to join me for today's podcast for our viewing and listening audience, please make sure that you make the Smart Tech Check podcast part of your day or commute going forward. We really would really appreciate that. And please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe button buttons at the end of today's podcast. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at mark vina at, uh, at mark Vena tech Guy. And until next time, have a great week. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Take care.